Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Story time. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. 
It was October 8th of 2010, and we're going bear hunting up by Golden Lake. It was just another day. We'd hunted most of the day, unproductive. We found one small buck and we said it's a young deer, let's let this one grow up, so we passed on that deer. Then we ended up going into another area, and we're coming around the corner. It's probably 5 o'clock. We came around this corner. Well, it's not really a corner it's kind of like an open field but it's a blind corner because you can't see past these trees. So it opens up into a field, we both look, and see this thing at the same exact time. The truck stops. I pointed my rifle at it and I could see it through the scope. I had my scope on 16 power, I could see it pretty clearly. Everybody asks me well what was going through your head, did you think it was a bear? I thought a lot of things. It wasn't that I was a skeptic, it was that I didn't know that anybody believed in Bigfoot at all. We saw this creature, it was walking on two legs, hairy. The best way I can describe it is it looked like a person in a suit. Probably three or four seconds had gone by and it started to walk towards us, between 180 yards, somewhere in there. It had its arms in the air and was waving them, almost like don't shoot, don't shoot. Kind of a universal thing in any language, anybody raises his hands, sign of surrender. I didn't know what it was. To me it was just a monster, I didn't know what it was. I'm looking at this monster. By this time I have the bullet in the chamber, my finger on the trigger, and it's coming towards us, slowly, it's taking steps, waving. A lot of people are saying I shot it in the back, so if you have a deer and you shoot it behind the shoulder, then you're going to penetrate both lungs. On a person it's a hard area to describe but it's basically right under the shoulder where the lungs are located. So maybe 5 seconds had passed, and my buddy he says don't shoot, don't shoot. It's not a bear. Do not shoot. And I'm still kind of locked in on this thing. To me it was a monster, that's all it was. You know the gun's getting ready to go off. We've hunted together a lot over the years and we both knew what was going to happen. Normally when we see something the truck stops, both of us get out and we've got our rifles on it immediately. Well, my buddy was still using his binoculars because he didn't know what to think. I didn't know what to think. I'm looking at this thing and I'm pretty close to pulling the trigger, I've just been squeezing this whole time. And he's getting louder and louder, he's like hey bro don't shoot, don't shoot. That is not a bear, that's a person in a suit, that's a person in a suit, don't shoot. And I'm thinking well if that's a person in a suit then we've got a real problem here, cause they're walking around during bear season with a fur suit on. Something don't add up about this. I'm halfway thinking in the back of my mind that somebody's going to pull around the corner and it's going to be like a film crew or something. I don't know, my mind's going a hundred miles an hour. But I see this animal this furry thing, and we're here to hunt, we're here to kill animals, and it was just a monster. So I pull the trigger and you could see dust shoot off the side of it, like it obviously made a really good hit, definitely got it in the lungs. And it took off running. Just then we see two. I guess you'd call them kids, or cubs or something, I don't know. The big one's almost out of sight and these two come right out and my buddy's like holy s, really? There's more of them. So we drive the truck into the field as far as we can, maybe 30 yards, then we take off running. We heard the thing crash, 
though. It crashed, it sounded like a car wreck. We knew we made a good hit. It's very normal to shoot a deer and have it run 50, 60, 70 yards and expire. So we run up there and my buddy doesn't even grab his gun, I mean we're just running, trying to run over to this thing, and cubs are just out of sight. And we run over there and now we're face to face with these kids. Probably 10 yards away or so, and we can't find the big one. So I decide I'm going to going to shoot one of the kids, and my buddy's like no, do not shoot, do not shoot. Okay, okay, alright. We'll find the big one, we'll get it and we'll leave. So we end up looking for 15 minutes or so. Meanwhile the kids. They're looking for the parent obviously. They are walking around looking for their parent. We knew we were looking in the right area then, I've made the mistake of shooting a sow, and then the piglets come running out and they always know right where their mom is. They take you to the body. So we knew that it was right there, we just couldn't find it. It's an extremely brushy area. I mean, we could have looked for two weeks and not found it. So there's blood on the ground, we're kind of looking at the blood, we're walking around, we split up probably 10 or 15 times, he'd go one way I'd go the other way. And the kids would do the same thing. They'd walk into the center of the open field and they'd say something to each other, it sounded like deaf chatter, they'd go wah wah wah. They'd say something to each other then they'd split up. Then about a minute later they'd come back, almost like, you see anything? You see anything? No, okay. Did you look by that tree, did you look by the stump? Yeah I looked by the stump, did you look by the tree? I'll look by the other tree. They didn't care that we were there, they were not alarmed at all. They were just there. And so, maybe 15 minutes goes by or so, and I keep deciding that I'm going to shoot one of the little ones. It's like, we'll shoot one of these, throw it in the back, and we'll figure it out. And my buddy's like, no no that's terrible, don't do that, there's no reason for that, there's absolutely no reason to do this. So at the time everything's running through my head, I'm thinking if we don't get one of the little ones nobody's ever going to believe us, it's just going to be a crazy story. We just need to find the big one and we need to get out of here. So eventually me and my buddy are split up and I'm down this hill and it's almost like straight uphill maybe 15 yards away, maybe 20, and one of them, the little one, is starting to approach me. It's getting closer. It's getting closer, starting to make some noise, like the deaf chatter thing. It's getting closer and I was thinking, I don't know what's going to happen here but he's going to get too close, it's way too close for comfort. Screw it, I'm going to shoot. So I shoot it directly in the neck cause I didn't want to mess up the skull or the face. And it rolled down the hill and actually. It hit my feet, starts bleeding on my boots, still alive. So I pick it up and I'm sitting there looking at it and I'm starting to feel back, I'm starting to realize, what have I done, what have I done? And, that went on for a couple minutes, there was a lot of stuff that happened in there but to summarize it, make a long story short, it died. And then my buddy walks up and he's like, what have you done? Seriously, really? And I'm like fine, forget this, so I throw it on the ground and I start walking off walking back to the truck. Then I look back and my buddy's holding it, just holding it, sitting there staring at it. So, I walk back to him like dude, 
We gotta get out of here. Somebody just heard a shot, you know that somebody's going to show up, fish and game, we're going to get in so much trouble, we're going to go to jail, we need to get out of here, this is crazy, let's go. He says, okay, okay, let's hide this, we'll come back for it later. We'll come back. So we take it into the bush, get it as deep as we can, throw a bunch of stuff on top of it, and then we leave. Not saying a word. We actually drove out of there probably 60 miles an hour on that dirt road. It doesn't make sense but we were just afraid we were going to get caught, get in trouble, something. So we drove down to Sierraville, and we stopped there. Both of us quit smoking in like the last six months, gross habit, but we both walk in, get a pack of cigarettes without saying a word, and we drive all the way home without saying a word. Smoke the whole thing. Then he dropped me off. A couple days later I get on taxidermy.net, I've got a few friends on there, and I'm trying to think if there's some way I can talk about what happened, so I make a post like, so if you saw a Bigfoot would you shoot it? That's all I said, and everybody's going back and forth. Taxidermists are outdoor people, they've got a fascination with wildlife, they've hunted all their life. There's a bunch of guys one there who were like, oh no, I seen one, I seen one, I know they're real. And it turned into this really long topic, so maybe 20 pages goes by and I get on there and I just say, I'll tell you what, you can call it X if you want, I don't care, but I shot something that walked on two legs. I was hunting solo on our land, when I stumbled across multiple dead deer heads thrown into a creek. I was already jittery hunting as a solo female, knowing we've been dealing with poachers on the land. While investigating and taking pictures of the dump to call into our game warden, I heard a truck idle for a few seconds, then suddenly peel out of there once I was spotted. I immediately called up the warden instead of waiting until I got home to report my findings. Ohio had been getting hit hard with CWD and I did know that as was spreading my way. I just remember the first adrenaline spike of stumbling upon the pile, and then again when a the sound of a truck peeled out. My heart hit my toes, and all I could think was that we both most likely had guns, they knew where I was, but I didn't know where they were. When I was out hunting with a friend in western Wisconsin, I didn't expect the day to take such a chilling turn. We had set out early in the morning, full of anticipation, ready to track down a few deer. The woods were serene, the air crisp, and the autumn colors of the leaves created a mesmerizing tapestry above our heads. After hours of waiting in our stand, the sun began its slow descent towards the horizon. As we watched and hoped for any sign of deer, the daylight gradually waned. We knew that our hunt was coming to an end, and we'd have to start our trek back to the cabin. The walk to our stand had been long, a mile and a half of uneven terrain and dense woods. It was tiring, especially after a day of hunting, but our excitement had kept us going. However, on our return, with darkness settling in, the forest seemed to transform into a realm of secrets, one we were intruding upon. We walked in silence, the only sounds the crunch of leaves beneath our boots and the occasional hoot of an owl. But then, as if from the depths of a nightmare, we heard it, 
a blood-curdling scream that sent shivers down my spine. It sounded like a woman in agony, her voice twisted in terror and pain. My friend and I halted in our tracks, our flashlights scanning the darkness for the source of that wretched scream. Our hearts pounded in our chests, and we exchanged anxious glances. That scream was far from ordinary, it sent a chilling wave of dread coursing through our veins. We strained our ears, hoping to hear something that would explain the horrifying sound. But there was nothing, no rustling leaves, no footsteps, no voices, just an eerie silence that felt almost as disturbing as the scream itself. We whispered to each other, questioning what we had just heard, whether it was some sort of prank or a wild animal imitating a human cry. But we both knew, deep down, that what we'd heard was beyond ordinary. With our flashlights trembling, we cautiously moved forward, inching our way back to the cabin. The forest that had felt like a sanctuary earlier in the day now seemed like a realm of dread, hiding its secrets in the shadows. Every snap of a twig or gust of wind sent us into high alert, as we couldn't shake the image of that chilling scream. We finally made it back to the cabin, locking the door behind us, and sitting in bewildered silence. We couldn't find an explanation for what we had heard. That scream haunted our thoughts, raising questions without answers. We never did figure out what had happened that evening in the woods of western Wisconsin. The memory of that scream still lingers in the corners of my mind, a reminder of the mysteries that can be hidden deep within the wilderness. Let me start off with a few disclaimers. This isn't my story, it's a friend of my grandfather, and it's been a few years since I was told it, so the memory might be a bit hazy. It may not be scary to most people, but I thought I would share it anyway. Also, if there are any mistakes in the story, I apologize. At the time of writing this, I was getting over a concussion. This story happened in upstate New York. My grandfather's friend was hunting with one other person. For privacy reasons, I won't use any names of the people in this story. Anyway, they came across a road and decided to split up, going in opposite directions on the road. He perched himself on a rock and waited till about 4 in the afternoon, but nothing showed. At this time, he decided to meet up with his friend. Right when he got off the rock he was sitting on, he saw something walking in the woods across a clearing not far from him. The thing walked out of the trees, and it had its right side facing him. He didn't know if it was a bear or a person, and he didn't know whether to talk to it or not. He then decided to whistle at it. The thing walked away from him on two legs back into the forest. It disappeared from his sight. It then walked back out of the forest, this time facing him. They stared at each other before the thing walked back into the woods again and out of sight. My grandfather's friend walked back down the road away from the thing he saw, where he saw his friend walking up to him. He asked him if he had been down where he saw the creature. He said he never went down that way. To this day, he insists that it wasn't a bear because it would have stumbled on two legs, and he swears it wasn't a person because they would have alerted him to their presence. He insists that it was a Bigfoot. This is coming from a second-hand source, so you can judge on whether or not it's true, but I hope to find out what he saw.
What I'm about to tell you is very true. I've never told anyone in my life till now. This happened to me back in 2003 at our family farm in Ohio. It was mid-October, and my dad and I were on our way to the farm to deer hunt, as we always did every weekend. We arrived there around 5.45 in the morning. We sat in the truck, talking and joking about who was gonna see more deer or shoot the bigger buck like always. At about 5 minutes till 6, we got out and got our gear on and headed towards the woods. As we entered the woods on the left side of the cow pasture, I noticed an odd, eerie feeling, which was normal for me, I guess, as the woods always gave me that feeling, even since I was young. My dad walked me to my tree stand and made sure I got in and situated safely. He told me good luck, as always, and I said I'll be back at noon. He then proceeded to his stand. A few minutes after he left, this overwhelmingly tingle came over my body, as if someone or something was watching me. At this time, it was still dark. I began to look around the surrounding timber, trying to make out silhouettes, but couldn't. I was beginning to become very overwhelmed with that feeling of eyes upon me. A few minutes had passed since I scanned the timber last. I tried once more since my eyes had now adjusted to the dark better. I looked off to my left and then slowly towards my right again, and nothing. I tried to calm myself and mentally say it's nothing, you're fine. All of a sudden, I heard crashing coming towards me from the left, and my heart sank as I looked. It was a few deer running, for what appeared to be their life. They blew through the woods and didn't stop. I heard them still crashing through the timber. At this time, I was only able to make out silhouettes and outlines of trees. I thought that it was odd, but maybe a coyote or something was after them, and I just shrugged it off. Maybe five minutes later, it was still dark but dawn approached. I then felt the hair on my neck stand up, and that eerie feeling came back upon me. My heart started to pound profusely. I heard the crunching of leaves and loud snaps of sticks from the direction the deer had run from, which was the neighbor's property on the left side of our woods. There were 100 plus acres of switchgrass and hundreds of acres of other woods. I looked up and saw what appeared to be my dad walking towards me. Daylight was starting to break now, but it was still pretty dark inside the woods. I waited for what I thought was my dad, and he got about 20 yards plus from me. I quietly said, what are you doing, dad? No response. It just continued to walk towards me. So I said a little louder, dad, what are you doing? Still no response. I began to say, hey, you know you're trespassing, buddy, but no response. As it got to the tree that my deer stand was in, I noticed that it was not my dad. I began to freak out. I looked across the woods to where my dad's tree stand was, and I saw his headlamp climbing up the tree. That's when I looked down and saw this thing standing directly underneath my tree stand, looking dead at me. Whatever it was, it was tall enough to reach up and grab my foot with ease. Mind you, I'm 14 feet up this tree. I began to start crying from fear and my heart was beating so hard and fast I thought it was going to explode out of my chest. I let out a wimpy, muffled ah yell. It just grumbled at me and walked off, following the direction of the deer. I watched it disappear into the timber as the darkness was fading fast. Once it was gone, 
I was overwhelmed with this god-awful smell of body odor mixed with the smell of death, old hound dog, and trash. As the morning went on, the woods were dead silent. Not a bird, squirrel, or deer, nothing. I've never heard the woods that quiet before, ever. Once I calmed down enough to climb down and out of my tree, I ran to my dad and told him I wanted to leave because I didn't feel well. So, we left. This happened to me when I was 15. I'm now 29, and I've never hunted our woods in the morning again. I will not be there after dark to this day, and I still have not told anyone until now. I do not smoke, drink, or do drugs. Never have. I promise this is a 100% true story, and the scariest thing that's ever happened. I was staying in a cabin on the border of Pennsylvania and Maryland in the mountains. One day we were snowed in, and when you're snowed in there, you're stuck, basically. Now, there are plenty of bears and deer up there. We kept salt licks, corn, and all kinds of stuff around, not to hunt, but just to feed them. Well, I walked by the back window, which is over the underground garage where we kept the snowmobiles and four-wheelers. I see this big brownish thing in the woods, probably 50 feet from the cabin, just sitting in the snow. I was shocked because I had never really seen a bear there, but I heard the stories about them being around. So, I ran to get my mom to show her. As we walked back to the window, the damn thing stood up, and I don't mean like a bear, I mean like a big tall man standing up. It then turned around and walked with a huge stride and basically took off into the woods. We stood there, shocked. What the hell was that? My uncle just says, oh, that's a Squatch. He's a celebrity around here. I don't know if he was just trying to make us feel better by diffusing the situation with a comedic remark, but after that, I never went to those woods alone again. There, that's my encounter. I am a 32-year-old female from the very northern tip of West Virginia. Most of my life has been lived in Hancock County. When I was little, we camped in tents, walked everywhere, hiked at parks, all that outside goodness. In my teens, we started going to state parks to ride horses. I've been to Tumbleson Run, Beaver Creek State Park, Salt Fork, Raccoon Creek, and Vista Park, and I think that was the name. We had a friend who was constantly inviting us to ride on people's land she had received permission from. I'm well acquainted with the local wildlife. I've seen all the major players, including koi dogs and bears, and I can identify most sounds in the forest. I love watching nature documentaries. I was looking to become a vet, so I studied a lot, drawing and painting them got me very acquainted with animal anatomy. Was I ever into paleontology? Yes, I was a dino-crazy little girl. My one babysitter had Reader's Digest Mysteries of the Unexplained. The thought of a plesiosaurus in Scotland or an apatosaurus in the Congo was just mind-blowing. Later in life, I started looking at it like folklore. It was interesting to read the accounts and learn the theories behind what people were seeing, but I believed in them as much as a forester believes in dragons and trolls. I didn't have any interest in Bigfoot, and I never heard of Dog Man. I never had interest in looking, nor did the thoughts ever cross my mind. 
It did seem to me, though, that it seems I didn't need to go looking, they found me. We moved to the farm when I was about 10. Mom's dream was to have horses, and she was finally able to live it. The farmhouse was haunted, mainly by the former residents of the house. I never felt threatened by them, though it's a little unnerving to have two men talking and moving the couch, or sitting on it, should I say, it sounded like it. No one was home, no media was on, and yet I was hearing two men talking about how they were going to move the couch and where, and the sound of the furniture being dragged right under me. The land itself had its share of strangeness. Most things were benign, though we just shrugged and carried on. I honestly hated our woods. Anywhere else, I'd freely hike, but even in the yard sometimes I felt watched. Hell, sometimes I thought something was staring in our windows. Now that I think of it, we did have things slam into our trailer. I think it was a horse that had gotten loose, but when I'd go out to investigate, I wouldn't find a thing. I'd chalk it up to a deer. I used my horse's breeds for their names rather than think of names for them. Anyone who knows me knew my horse's names. I was 18 and 19 in this particular encounter, and by this time, we gave up on cows. I hate cows and just had horses and chickens. Someone knocked at the door, and it was at 2 a.m. I'd only been asleep for two hours, but years of conditioning had my heart pumping and my mind clearing. Someone knocking that early meant trouble, it usually meant horses or livestock had gotten out. I wasn't disappointed, our neighbors said the horses were in his yard. My mind wasn't totally awake, so I didn't think to ask which yard they were in. My stepfather came out, asked what was up, and told me they were my horses, so deal with it. Mom was working at the time, and that was nothing new. This lot of horses had three experts and escape artists. I had the routine down. It was pretty dark out, but I did have some moonlight to help, the security light only went so far. Then, of course, it shut off after some time. When it was cloudy, you could literally have to watch that you didn't walk off into the ravine, it was so pitch black. I was naturally in a foul mood, cursing my horses and wondering if some drunk had gone to the fence again. It happened a lot, believe it or not. As I got closer to the brown barn, I realized a horse was flipping out. It was running back and forth, squealing, and carrying on. I went in and grabbed the halters and leads and paused for a moment to see if there was any other horse or horses that had replied to the horse I had heard squeal. That would give me an idea of where the other horse or horses might be. There was no reply, that was odd. I was thinking, crap, they're on the other side of the hill. It was the only reason, in my mind, they wouldn't be replying. Let's just say when they followed our cut trails to the other side, it took us an hour to traverse the woods and lead them back. Even with two guys on a four-wheeler and my mom, that was a freaky trek. I felt like I was being watched and followed. Maybe it wasn't paranoia. The land is set up like this, the brown barn was connected to a small pasture, about half an acre long which then connects to a seven-acre pasture. Pretty much in the center, on the outside edge of a large pasture, was an old white barn that we turned into a run-in. I decided to tackle the horse still in the fence so I could bring her down to the small pasture, just to keep her from escaping, maybe the others would follow. 
I had to walk clear to the other side of the pasture to get to the panicking horse. It was my mother's psycho horse. I tried to catch her and nearly got trampled a few times trying. She was frothing at the mouth, and her eyes were really showing. Was I alarmed? No, as I said, psycho. I noticed my other six were across the road. They were standing in a tiny fenced-in area under a spotlight. They were standing motionless and not touching a blade of grass. I was wondering how the neighbor managed to herd them into that tiny fenced-in area with that tiny door. Three of those horses were over 16 hands tall. One was a draft horse cross. The doorway was actually small enough that he touched both sides going through. My thoroughbred mare took me two hours to corral, and the last time she got out, much to my frustration, she was an awesome jumper, so a stranger running them up and putting them into a tiny yard was mind-blowing. I've had horses since I was nine, and I'm 32 now. I've had ponies and horses, a couple of different Arabians, draft horses, quarter horses, walking horses, saddlebreds, and other thoroughbreds and mustangs, all different kinds. I've had a lot of horses from all walks of life. I'll tell you, they consistently do not like to be crammed into tight spaces, no matter what breed it is, especially not in a group. They were just silent and dead still. My neighbor came out and told me that they were like that when he found them. He asked me if I needed any help, but I told him no. My thoroughbred and racking horse mares didn't like men. I told him I'd take them out one at a time. I took one halter and lead and threw the rest outside the gate. I put the halter on my gelding and opened the gate to lead them out. They had other plans, though. All six came out as a freaking unit. They were literally chest to butt, crammed together. My gelding and my Welsh mare had their chests pushing against me as we walked back to the brown barn. Normally, they did not do this. I wouldn't usually allow such bad behavior. We were on the main road, which I did not like. The speed limit was only 35, but people go 60 all the time. So, I tried to lead them through the large pasture gate. They wouldn't even go on that side of the road, though. I was a little unnerved by their strange behavior, so I led them down to the brown barn, and they went in. They were skittish at first, though, picking at the hay I threw out, walking around relentlessly, sticking to the barn like glue, and eyeing the upper pasture. I rationalized it by thinking it's the Abbey flipping out. That's unnerving them. Why hadn't she come down yet? She had to have seen us all walk down. I rushed to the gate between the little and big pastures. Out of habit, I didn't want the herd to go back out into the big pasture. I didn't have to worry, they didn't follow me like they usually did. The gate was wide open, but the Abbey was still running and squealing back and forth in the same area. I started to go get her. Now, the neighbor's security lights didn't really light up my pasture. The road was higher than my pasture, so it cast a shadow. I could make out her shape and some detail, though. She took off at a panicked gallop, swerved sideways, and jumped the stream. When she landed, she nearly landed on her face. She caught herself, though, and took off at a dead gallop again. I ducked behind a stump. If she would have hit me, I would have been dead. I went back and chained the gate. I decided to forego looking her over until I got the halters and leads. 
She was too hot at the moment. I decided to walk on the road instead of the pasture. Again, the pasture was unlit and full of springs. Sometime, though during this, clouds had taken over the sky, so there was no moonlight to be seen. The spot on the road, though, where I was at, was paved and pretty well lit. My neighbor was paranoid. I had almost gotten to the white barn when I got this sudden urge to stop and look at a very specific spot in the pasture. I'd like to say it was instinct that told me to look, but usually, I'd scan the woods first to see what was watching me. That's usually where the watchers are. Instead, I just flicked on my flashlight right on a certain spot. It was extremely close to where the mare was flipping out. I saw red eye shine. My first thought was, why in the world would a deer be there with all that chaos? I was feeling a sense of extreme dread and didn't know why, besides it being where my horse was going nuts. Tix told me something else just wasn't right. I then realized where the eyes were relative to the walnut trees and my racing barrels. See, the road is above the pasture, and the walnut trees were right at the same elevation as the road. The pasture itself is sloped to deal with the runoff from the road. The barrel it was next to was on the low end of the incline. The barrels were white, so I could see a dim lighting from my flashlight on one of them. It was next to this thing. It was too freaking big to be a deer. I was frozen, standing there, watching it. I just had this feeling it was evil, and that I had to keep track of those eyes. It was watching me. It slowly blinked a few times. It also looked over into the woods above the pasture. I know you asked your guests if they ever feel there are other ones out there. Well, let me tell you, it crossed my mind with a sinking stomach. I flashed my flashlight over the woods to see if I would catch eye shine. I didn't see any, though, so I went right back to the eyes. They were still there. I flicked back and forth, making sure nothing was sneaking up on me. I don't know how long I stood there watching, frozen. Someone could have come around the bend and hit me with their car. I was so focused. Finally, it started to move off, glancing at me sideways a few times. I think it went into the copse of trees around the creek. I heard nothing. That wasn't surprising, though. The horses were still restless and making noise. I stood there a long time after, looking for the eye shine. I was wondering if it could have been a bear. I don't think so, though. The eyes were consistent in height until it disappeared. Bears are clumsy on their back legs on this uneven inclined ground. I have no doubt a bear would have dropped to the ground to go on all fours. Even the rear up and down behavior bears do when they're trying to see something wouldn't work. We had one cross our pasture before, and he made a lot of noise going through the woods. The horses settled down quicker with the bear. I was almost to my neighbors at this point and considered leaving the couple hundred dollars of tack with them. They'd be gone in the morning, and my mom would be pissed. So, I darted over and grabbed them and ran like a bat out of hell. I should have left the tack. I know you're not supposed to run, but I couldn't even conceive what I had just seen. I got to the barn, threw the tack down, and hung with the horses. I wasn't going to go back up that pitch black driveway on foot. I figured with the horses, I'd have a warning, and the barn had plenty of sharp things. I didn't go back up until dawn. I was frozen stiff by that time. I've had years to think this over. 
It unnerves me that whatever it was was watching me for however long. How long was that thing there? Was that what was keeping my mare from coming down? Was it right there in the shadows while I was trying to catch her, or was it in the unlit barn I walked through to get to the road? Was it the reason a psycho mare swerved and nearly fell? How did my horses get out? I never did find out how they got out. Did they panic and jump? I did check the fence line away from the woods, and I did look for other tracks from the barrel. Sadly, the ground was hard from frost in the morning, but I will say the abbey mare was running for a good while, and the ground was severely torn up and turned into a muddy mess. I'll bet it was her that woke the neighbor up. To this day, I'm not quite sure what it was that I felt and experienced. I just hope that it never comes back around my horses ever again. This happened in a school forest field trip in 7th grade in Sweden. So we were playing a game called 10 which is one dude is a warden that everyone touches on its back every round while the warden don't look, then the other kids hide and the warden gets 10 steps and then counts down from 30, after multiple rounds the warden counts from 10, yada yada yada. Here is the happening, I was just running from the warden after wrapping its back during a countdown and it was lots of tall and big trees. And I was at a somewhat of a drop down dirt path that was about a 1 meter drop and I could not see past this drop due to the extreme greenness of the trees. But I ran down there anyways. And just as I go to look up after dropping down, I hear something behind the trees. It sounded awful and terrifying, so I looked to my left, and about 3 meters from me I saw a 2 to 3 meter tall black figure. That figure was a male moose that was dead eye staring at me. So we made eye contact and the moose just started to look upset if that makes sense, it was not happy about me. So I literally backed up that dirt drop as slow as I could and then ran like a mother trucking cheetah. Scary part is that two weeks after, that exact moose chased my friend on a bike while in a suburban area, where we live and the moose was just one subway sandwich away from him, about 30 centimeters. So my friend was close to his doom just biking to school. And the moose have been reported as effing aggressive in our community Facebook group, Creepy Stuff. I was swimming in a lake alone and I felt someone watching me. I went back to the bank to get my glasses and saw some dude walking through the woods towards me. Something went off in my brain and I just took my shit and ran. Dude also starts running and I just sprinted headlong back down the trail about 100 yards to a parking lot, where there were other people, turn around heart pounding, there is no one behind me. Fight or flight switch tripped hard. My story is scary, and I have been reluctant to mention it over the years. A few friends and family have been told, though I doubt that any of them believe me. The girlfriend who was with me at the time was deeply affected by the encounter. So much so that she has never really been the same since. In the summer of 2016, my then-girlfriend and I were camping in the Lewis Mountain Campground, which is near Skyline Drive in the Shenandoah National Park. We had been there several times before and we always enjoyed our time there. I set up a large tent and separate canopy. There were no other campers within 100 yards, but we could hear others in our proximity. 
We spent most of the daytime hiking throughout the area. The second night, a Saturday, early Sunday morning, we were fast asleep. We had been out and about all day and were very tired. I believe it was approximately 1 a.m. when we were both awoken by a crashing sound outside the tent. I looked out the flap but couldn't see anything. So I got up with a lantern and walked to the canopy. I noticed that the camp stove had tipped over. I assumed it was the wind or that one of the legs gave way. I shrugged it off and went back to the tent. I hadn't gone back to sleep when I heard a strange chattering sound. It reminded me of the sound a monkey makes when agitated. Once again I looked out the tent and this time I noticed a tall shadow standing by the canopy. I woke my girlfriend and asked her to look. She was frightened, but eventually took a look. By this time, the shadow was moving slowly around the camp and making low deep grunts. The first thing I thought was that a black bear was looking for a meal, but I then realized that this shadow was extremely tall and walking on two legs. I grabbed a flashlight and directed it towards the shadow. When I did, this shadow quickly materialized into a huge hairy beast that lunged towards us. We both bolted back into the tent and cowered against the far side. The grunts continued as this beast walked around the tent. I tried to call for help on my phone but the signal cut out each time it connected. We were horrified by the ordeal, which continued for about 10 minutes. We were afraid to scream because we feared it would attack us. Eventually, the beast left the camp, but we stayed awake the rest of the night. We packed at daylight and quickly left. I later contacted the park authorities, but they dismissed my story. I'm sure that this beast was what people call a Bigfoot. My girlfriend and I soon broke off our relationship, but she has had emotional issues since that encounter. I have bad dreams at times and have never camped since. Thanks for reading. I am a woman who goes hiking. I was on one of my regular trails and came to a fork in the road where I continue on my usual route. I'd never felt unsafe. A man around my age was there and asked if he could go the same way as me. I say yes. We talk and everything is fine until he randomly says he could overpower me at any time. Thankfully we were near the mouth of the trail and he didn't attempt anything. I haven't gone alone since. My sisters and I were off-roading like two to three hours down a forestry road in British Columbia, Canada before we found a good spot to camp. These roads weren't on any backroads map so was super remote, maybe 100-120k from the nearest farm or sign on civilization. Middle of night we were still up at the campfire when my sister said she saw a red light in the bushes that quickly disappeared. She was pretty freaked but we just laughed thinking she was messing with us. Five minutes later I spot the red light in the bush behind her. It's a video recorder light. I turned my headlamp on in the direction of the dim red light and see a man turn and run away with camera in hand. We freaked the F out, jump into the truck and drove down the narrow road without any of our camping stuff. We went back in the morning to collect, it was all still there and we surveyed a bit farther to see if there was a sort of encampment or hunting lodge. Nothing. Not even a walking path off the barely visible road. To this day I wonder how long he followed us or what his plans with these recoded videos were for.
a lone human deep in the wilderness at night is hands down the most terrifying encounter. My wife and I were hiking in Sweden and three or four days into the woods, out of the direction of population, without seeing anybody else in days. In the middle of the night we both woke up to the sound of footsteps, boots, running even sprinting towards our tent as clear as day. So I shut up, went outside the tent and there was nobody there. Even searched around a bit in the pitch dark of the forest but we were alone. Not that big of an outdoorsman, but I love to fish. I was out on a lake that was electric only so I was using my electric motor. It was very early, the sun was just starting to come up. I saw what looked like a beaver or a raccoon swimming towards me. It was far off, maybe 100 to 150 yards, so I thought nothing of it and went back to my fishing. 5 to 10 minutes go by and I decide to move spots. I look back over, and now about 20 to 30 feet from me was that beaver that turned out to be a black bear. I let out a scream, and not a manly one. Threw on my trolling motor, which at full throttle moved me about as fast as the bear could swim. For what felt like an eternity I was being chased by a bear in the water. It was probably only a few minutes but it scared me enough that I keep bear spray on the boat at all times. Went biking with a buddy in a nature preserve at night when his chain broke about 15 miles from where we started. It's pitch black, except for our lighting, but nearly a full moon. We could see dozens of shapes slightly moving all around us about 20 to 30 yards away as we were in sort of a clearing. That wasn't the freaky part though, it was seeing the reflection of so many eyes staring at us from a distance that slowly crept towards. Luckily I carried spare quick change chain links, I had never fixed a chain so fast in my life before or since. A goose, in Chevalon Canyon, in Arizona. I don't think I've ever run like that with a full backpack on before or since. Also screamed like a little girl. Serious answer? Also in Chevalon, Spent an entire night in the mid-1990s with my back to a tree, listening to a large animal moving around. I had a flashlight with me, but it was pretty crappy, and all I could see were eyes looking back. Had my dog with me and she was growling and barking the whole night. Clearly something out there, and I'd seen bear sign the evening before. When morning came, the large animals proved to be elk, grazing in the meadow around me. Ooh boy! Get way out in the wilderness and you'll find some crazy stuff. While hiking out in the Six Rivers Forest I found a circle of standing stones about 30 feet across with a 4 to 5 foot mound of bones and carcasses in the middle. I never went back but I have the site logged in my GPS. Another time I was hiking on a logging road and heard a crunch from a little ways into the trees, figured it was a deer and kept walking. Turned around again to see if it was a deer and maybe like 15 feet behind me was a mountain lion that had been following me. I very carefully turned to face it and backed away. Fortunately for me she followed for a bit but then left. I assumed she had cubs nearby and was making sure I wasn't a threat, 
But boy howdy those things are too quiet for how big they are. Yet another time I was hiking in the Sierras over Silver Pass and found most of the first one-third of a horse just absolutely eviscerated in the middle of the trail. Bear prints everywhere, claw marks all down the horse bits. My first reaction was wow followed by that bear probably wants to finish this horse later and I high-tailed it out of there. When I told the rangers at the other end of the trail they remarked not again. There's also countless times I've been in a tent or bivy or camping cowboy style and coyotes or bears or etc come snuffling through camp in the middle of the night. It's terrifying the first few times but really they want your garbage not you personally, so as long as food and waste are packed correctly it's never been a problem for me. I lived in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. The date was June 1st, 2013. I used to wake up at 3.30 AM to take a bath and then go on the enclosed porch where I could watch the news and have coffee before I left for work on the day shift. While I was sitting on the couch, watching TV, and drinking my coffee, the TV glitched and a slight wind picked up. It was kind of a balmy morning so I had the main door open with the screen door closed and the bottom of the screen door to ventilate the porch. Something drew my attention to the door and when I looked at the glass portion of the window I saw some type of entity. It looked like I had big eyes and a hand. I quickly took a photograph and it disappeared in about a minute. After that incident, I was always nervous to sit on the porch. One morning it was raining out and I had the door open. I looked up and somebody's dog came and peeked his head in the door. Scared the heck out of me. I was a military policeman in the United States Army. I have been a police officer for almost 15 years. So I was hesitant reporting this, but maybe you can shed some light on it. So, I've been thinking a lot recently of a session I had with a couple of friends and an Ouija board three years ago. I used to believe in spirits and be really into the occult but this experience kind of spooked me away and I don't know what I believe right now. Well here's the story, let me know what you make of it. So I was with three or four friends in a girl's basement. We were all into the occult and supernatural stuff and brought out the Ouija board to mess around. We contacted a spirit, she said she was good, and asked her what her name was. She said Emily and Six. We asked a couple of random questions and treated her like we would a real six-year-old. Then someone got the idea to ask her how she died, big mistake, and she spelled out, Mom. At this point, I thought I recognized the spirit and took my hands off the board. I kept asking questions that I knew the answer to and if this spirit was the girl I thought she was, she would too. I asked if she had siblings, and she said yes. I asked what color her house was and she said blue. Then I asked what street she lived on and she said Loomis. All of these answers lined up with a murder that happened in my town, Naperville, Illinois, in 1999. I used to live a mile or two down the road on the same street. We were officially creeped out but not to be rude we asked her to leave and she said she didn't want to. We told her to please leave and that she can't stay but that we wish her the best. On our way up from the basement the old playroom that my friend hadn't used in years was wide open with a few toys out of their box lying on the floor like they were just used. 
It's still seemed that she left though because my friend never mentioned anything weird going on in her house. I live in Greene County in southwestern Pennsylvania and have been a firefighter for over 15 years. We have a ghost in our fire department. It's an old member who died many years ago and many of our members, myself included, have had experiences with Uncle Al as we call him. There have been many times where someone has experienced sounds, noises, and just odd feelings while being in the fire department. We have had a game room added to our department after our member had already died, so he cannot pass into the new room, but you can feel his presence in the doorway. One of the most memorable experiences I have had with Uncle Al was one day when I was in the engine bay office with two members, Ken and myself, this has occurred before when I was alone. We could hear chairs being knocked off of the tables in our social hall. We went upstairs to investigate, and all the chairs looked like they were pushed off the tables. Ken and I went back downstairs and left everything as is and not long later, maybe 10 minutes, we heard the chairs moving again. We went back upstairs and all the chairs were set back up onto the tables. I am not making this up. Another experience with Uncle Al occurred when I was standing in the bathroom, which is in the social hall, the part where Al can roam around. It was about midnight and I looked out the window at least 5 minutes previous and noticed no members cars except mine were in the lot. Soon, I heard someone calling my name. The sounds were coming from the doorway to the stairwell. I can also hear people walking around in the bays again and people stepping on the grates on the floor. I went downstairs to investigate, looking out the window again. There were no cars in the lot. I go to the door to the engine bays and see that the lights are off. There is always the sense of being watched by Uncle Al, be it one person, or ten people in the firehouse. You can always feel the presence of someone or something watching you. Denver Airport, 1.30 a.m. I was ill and traveling all the way from NYC to Colorado to see a physician who specialized in IC, bladder disease that mimics cancer. I have never been in a HUGE airport and it was very quiet. Few people and I had no idea where to go off these subway train things. Plus no one was around for me to ask, which way do I go? As I was standing in this tunnel after getting off the train I was looking around and down the long hallways for a bathroom. Part of my medical issue is a constant need to urinate. Anyway, I saw a weird very tall sculpture, kind of like a dinosaur but with alligator skin and a lizard face with big eyes. It didn't move and because I saw a lot of weird things at the main entry of the airport I assumed it was another freaky art thing. But my phone rang it was Dr. Brookoff asking if I was at the airport. As I turned to go in the direction he explained to me, the weird tall lizard looking thing was gone. Just vanished. This was in March of 2006. Dr. Brookoff has passed since then and in my opinion under suspicious circumstances. At that time I hadn't heard of reptilians. I was watching Conspiracy Theory with Jesse Ventura and looked it up. I know what I saw now. 100% sure that was a reptilian. I am so grateful to God and Dr. Brookoff for picking me up that night. The Denver International Airport definitely has some strange murals and other oddities. 
I wrote a piece in November 2011 which I posted below. I don't know what Heidi Jo witnessed but her story doesn't surprise me. There has been a variety of speculation since the facility opened in 1994, including several conspiracy theories about underground tunnels and symbolism used in art throughout the concourse and terminals. I've heard that certain groups are tied to the airport, including the Illuminati and the Freemasons. That the Denver area is where the establishment of the Western sector of the New World Order will be in the United States. The capstone, or the dedication stone, for the Denver airport, does have a Masonic symbol on it. But many other public buildings throughout the world do as well. It has been said that Phil Schneider, of Dulce Base fame, said that during the last year of the airport construction, they were connecting the underground airport system to a deep underground base. He stated that there was at least an eight-level deep underground base there and that there was a four-square-miles underground city and an 88-square-mile base underneath the airport. Many of these supposed deep underground facilities located in the United States have been linked to the congregation of alien beings, including greys and reptilians. I'm sure that you can find the interview online. For many years I have been receiving inquiries about the Denver International Airport and the strange anomalies that supposedly occur there. A former Denver Broncos player told me that he would absolutely freaked out each time he and the team would fly out of there and that he wasn't the only person on the team to express their discontent with the place. In 1977 I was between marriages, working for the U.S. General Service Administration as a security officer in the San Francisco Bay Area, and driving home from the California Gold Country in Sonora with my girlfriend. It was early October, around dusk, and the skies were clear. The sun had dropped behind the Wildcat Range as we drove east on SR-108-120 and the stars were coming out. We saw one brilliant star shining above the ridge and I assumed it was a planet until it suddenly moved to the north several degrees. We looked at each other and the word plane? Popped into our heads. It then moved quickly to the south and seemed to shimmer. There's no way for me to determine how far it was or how large it was. To me, it was still a brilliant object. We pulled over to the side of the road and watched the object shift north and south and upward with incredible speed. Two cars also stopped and parked behind us and those occupants stared at the light. When the light show couldn't get bigger the star split into five other objects. They were less brilliant but still outshine the stars that were coming out. In less than a minute all five objects sped away upward and to the south. One left some sort of trail. The group of strangers suddenly burst into applause as I did. When I arrived in the next city, Oakdale, California about half an hour or so later I made a pay phone call to the sheriff's department and reported my sighting. The woman who took my call said, you and everybody else tonight. My girlfriend and I continued home and forgot about the incident. Until, about a week later at my work site, my supervisor came up to me and said two federal agents of some sort were in the office and wanted to talk to me. I figured it might concern one of my criminal cousins at the time, so I was unprepared for their credentials Department of the Air Force Office of Special Investigation, an organization I'd never heard of, and their request that I brief them on my sighting. I pretty much gave them the same report I gave to the Stanislaus County Sheriff's Department. 
One agent kept nodding and looking at papers taken from a briefcase. I was then told, you were incredibly fortunate to see an amazing phenomenon of light, reflection, and weather. This is very rare. I remember those exact words because they seemed so ridiculous. I replied, no sir. I flunked meteorology in college but I learned enough to know that's not what I saw. Light does not refract like that. His partner, and yes they had dark suits, said something to the effect that what I saw was a natural occurrence and that was the end of it. I remember saying, fine, so why are you guys here? I was told I was not to mention the event to anyone ever again. By this time I was pissed. This was still America and I had the right to talk about the weather if I wanted to. Which is probably what I said. The first agent gave me a smile and said, would you like to see the weather in Butte, Montana? A transfer can be arranged. At this point, I should explain that Butte, Montana was as the dumping ground for federal agents, officers, security people, etc. who have screwed up very badly but couldn't be fired. Some considered it worse than Juneau, Alaska. I remember saying, oh, now I get it. You just had to explain it to me. Sure. And I walked out. Any advancement in the GSA disappeared that day but my life turned out well without it. Now as I slip into my 62nd year and poor health I wanted to get my story out. Not very exciting. No aliens. No ships. But a moment in my life I have yet to forget. My story happened at Folcroft, Pennsylvania, right outside southwest Philadelphia and you see a lot of freaky things where I'm from. But nothing made me act in a way that I did that night because I was not by myself. I had my cousin with me who was probably 7 years old and the danger alarm went off full force. There's a small wooded area nearby and it connects to a water treatment plant that is connected to a nature reserve. If you look on Google Earth you can see the woods connect and go all the way out to US-1. I guess it's possible something could live there. There are plenty of deer. Well, we park, and walk into the woods, and I got the feeling kids were down there, probably underage drinking. Just like we all did back in the day. Then I heard what sounded like a group of people talking and I got down on one knee. 30 feet into the woods on top of this hill that drops off. I can't really make it out so I reach down, and pick up a pebble. This will get a reaction and I'll find out if it's people or not. So I wind up and heave it in the direction of the voices. Way down to the right of us, I hear a smack through layers of leaves and rocks hitting. Then 10 feet in front of us to my left I hear this growl and breathing. It sounded like a human with water in its lungs huffing and puffing right there. It vibrated in my chest. It was furious at me whatever it was. I felt like I stuck my finger in an electrical outlet. Every hair on the back of my neck and my arms were standing on end I calmly stood up, grabbed my cousin's hand, and said out loud, okay, we're leaving right now. We turned 180 and walked briskly out of the woods. I never saw what this was. I remember as a kid that same feeling at the zoo when lions would pop off and flex roar. This incident still gives me goosebumps. Have I gone back down there since? <laughs>